You are listening to Meredith's story, a son who acquired meningitis as a newborn, and his experience a few years later with a tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy on the Child Life On Call podcast. Welcome to the Child Life On Call podcast. I am so glad that you are here today still tuning in and listening to the stories of parents who have a child with an illness or a medical condition or have gone through some sort of medical experience. Today we will be hearing from Meredith, who is a nurse and actually a mom of two. We will be talking about her son, Joshua. Meredith will be sharing two separate stories today. One about her son acquiring meningitis at just five weeks old, and also she'll be talking about a tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy surgery he had a few years later when he was three. Meredith begins her story today by telling us about how she became a nurse. My mom is a nurse, and I was being a bad kid in middle school, and so over the summer she made me be a junior volunteer at Seton Medical Center. And I got to go back to the PACU, and I got to go back to the pre-op, and I got to go back and see a surgery in the OR. And I remember walking out in my scrubs and just feeling so important. And that's when I knew I wanted to be a nurse. I love that. That is so cool. Do you remember what surgery you watched? I'm not sure what it was. I think it was a skin graft. It looked like a cheese slicer going down this person's leg. Oh, wow. Well, if you saw that and then wanted to be a nurse. (laughs) It was so awesome. I don't know how else to describe it. It was so awesome. (laughs) That's really cool. So today we'll be talking about your son, Joshua. So do you want to tell us, I guess, what happened in infancy and why you're telling us the story today? So he was a normal baby. He was so chill. I remember wrapping him up and setting him down and in the hospital, and he was fine. He was like, okay. And I didn't have to touch him. He was just totally relaxed. And I mean, he was very loving and just an easy baby. And so it was my first ladies' night out, and... um I just thought this was bad luck. That's what I thought. This is what I get for going out. So I come home and he's fussy. And so I nurse him and he's just even fussier. He's just not his normal self. And so I sleep with him in the guest room. So Toby can get some rest because I think he has to work the next day. And he, the only way he'll sleep is if he's laying on my chest and which is completely abnormal for him. But I was, I just, I was like, oh, you know, maybe he has a dairy allergy. Maybe it's the cheese that I ate. That's why he's fussy. So we slept together. It was fine. We woke up the next day and he felt warm. And I thought, oh, well, we slept together. Of course he's warm. And so I took his temperature and it was 101.5. And I was like, oh, wow, he's kind of hot. I was like, well, let me nurse him. Maybe that will help. Maybe that will get his temp down. And so I nurse him. I take his temp again. And it's 101.3. And I was like, oh, I should probably call the doctor. Like alarms were not going off at all. And I call his pediatrician and they say, you need to take him to Dell. And I said, okay. 
So we took him to Dell and they got him back and they wanted to run all these tests on him. They wanted to do blood and urine and spinal fluid and, and that was it. And, and maybe a, a culture, a sputum culture. And I was fine with everything, but I was like, no, you're, you're not doing the spinal. There's no way. Because I worked in the ICU, and when you did a spinal, it was a big deal on a grown-up. And I did not know that this was a normal, everyday occurrence on fever of unknown origin for a newborn, which Joshua still considered that since he was only five weeks old. And so I was really pushing back against that. But I let them do the blood, and he was this pudgy baby. Oh, my gosh. He was off the charts when he was a little kid. He was so fat. And uh, they had to stick him over five times to get the IV and to get the blood. And it was just, it was the most awful thing to watch. And he was just screaming and crying. And then he would be kind of listless. And then I remember my mom getting there and me walking out of the room and just grabbing onto her and just holding her and just bawling. And she's like, it's okay. It's okay. Now it's safe now. Just get it all out. So my mom's hugging me and Toby's there as well. And I go back into the room and the nurse is in the room and I ask her about the spinal. And of course my mom is like, Oh, well, let me get anesthesia in here. I'm going to get somebody in here. They're going to get this IV start. She's trying to take control of the whole situation. And I asked the nurse, I'm like, okay, would you do the spinal? And she's like, yeah, if it was my child, I would do it. And I'm like, all right, then let's do it. And I'm so glad we did because that's how they diagnosed the meningitis. What Meredith is describing is something that would be alarming and emotional for any mother. It is such a blessing that she was able to have her mom and her husband by her side as this was all happening. As a child life specialist, a lot of the role that we play for these families are just being present and an emotional support. We can be there by the family's side when the procedure is happening. We can help explain to parents and their other well children what is happening in a way they can understand it. And we can also encourage infant and parent touch and bonding as much as possible. Deciding to go through with a spinal tap on your child is no easy decision. So providing parents with the support and information they need is something child life specialists can do. Next, Meredith walks us through what her experience was like in the emergency room during the procedure. So I was in the room for all of this. I was in the room for the urine. I was in the room for every IV stick. And I was in the room for the spinal as well. It, it was just, it was painful to watch. You wanted to take his place. You wanted him not to be suffering and you would gladly suffer for him. And he was not his normal self. That was the weirdest thing of all. He just, he wasn't the person that I knew. Finally, it was uh, the pick nurses who got the IV. Well, they got an IV. I forget. They had one, and then they lost it. It blew. And then they finally got another one. And this was making me nervous because they were going to give him the Vank. And I was like, I don't want Vank to be blowing in his arm because that would really hurt his, his skin and his vascular system. So, um, and they did the urine, and he didn't even flinch. And then... For the spinal, I'm pretty sure it was a resident, and he came in, and I remember they just squished his fat body over, and he was like in a little 
fat ball with his knees up and his back out and the nurse was kind of helping prop him up and I was just three feet in front of them while they they did this final and he was totally fine for it I don't even remember him crying I really don't and I don't remember how long it took to get the labs back we were still in the ER when they diagnosed us with the meningitis and once we had that diagnosis that's I believe when they started the vancomycin because they didn't know if it was bacterial or if it was viral. And then I had somewhere to go from that point on. So once we got, we got admitted and we got settled into the room, my mom basically kicked Toby and I out to go have dinner, which was wonderful. We got to Google everything and have a drink and relax and then recharge so we can go back and take care of Joshua. For those of us who don't know much about meningitis, would you give us kind of a really simple explanation of what it means? So it's an inflammation of your meninges, which is the lining on your brain. And you get a stiff stiff neck, you get headache, you can have nausea, vomiting, vision changes, and it can cause mental... um, how do I say this? It can cause brain damage, basically. And it just depends on how severe it is. And I remember his fever got up to 103.5 when we were at the hospital. We were there for three days. And the higher it gets, in my mind, his brain is cooking. And this is just horrible. So the next day, the team came by with the whole group of doctors. And we were in isolation since he had the meningitis and they didn't know what form it was. And I don't even know if that matters whether they're in the isolation or not. Anyways, we're in isolation. So we're all gowned up. We have gowns. The doctors have gowns. We have to have gloves on. Anytime you enter or exit the room, you have to be gowned up and which is a real pain at the bottom. I don't even know if it's appropriate to use your phone in a gown room. Um, So they come in and they tell us that it's not bacterial, that it's viral. And my first thought in my head is, oh, good, he doesn't have to be on the bank anymore. And that's exactly what I told them. And they said, oh, yes, you are correct. He does not. I'm like, oh, good, good, good. And she said that they couldn't discharge him until he was fever free for, I think, 24 hours. So then we were there two more days, and that's when he got discharged. And my mother would come and she would take turns letting Toby and I leave for just a little bit. I remember Toby taking me home and me wanting to rest. And all he wanted to do was shower and go back. And I was so frustrated by this because I was exhausted. I was the one who was staying up with him all night. Not that I mean, Toby would just fall asleep. He could do that, whereas I could not. I was still on pins and needles. And we get home, and all I want to do is sleep in my own bed. And Toby goes in, he takes a shower, and then he's like, all right, let's go back. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to go back. I want to stay here for just a little bit. I just want to be normal, just for a little bit. Totally, totally. I mean, it's and you're exactly right. That <laughs> it's like the difference between mom and dad sleep from the very beginning, like, dads can sleep through anything and moms are up at a like moment's notice. I can, I swear I can hear my son's eyelids open. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have to sleep with earplugs in because I hear every single noise inside the house. What were some, if any, positive or unexpected or surprising moments throughout 
your three-day experience? The Junior League, they came around, they have a cart, and they bring the cart around, and they stopped to give us something off this cart, and it has toys, and it has stuffed animals, and it has books, and it was an older gentleman, he was trying to offer me a toy, and I said, oh no, Joshua's a baby, he doesn't care, we don't need anything, and he was like, no, 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 you have to at least take something, and so he gave us a little board book, Hop on Pop, and I still have that book. I love that even after six years, Meredith still has the memory and the book of this seemingly unimportant experience in the midst of such a crazy time. For me as a childhood specialist, hearing Meredith interpret this as a positive experience during an emergent hospitalization really shows me that the small things we do to make a family's experience easier or better are well worth it. What helped you the most during this experience or what would you recommend to other parents who are going through a similar experience? I think my family helped the most having the support of my husband and my mom. That really helped. I knew it was safe to collapse. It was okay to not be okay. And I also think prayer. I mean, I did a lot of praying when I was in the hospital for that little guy. Well, it's just such a blessing that everything that happened with Joshua and meningitis as a five-week-old turned out okay. As somebody who has had meningitis before, I can definitely relate to how horrible he must have felt. And as a newborn, uh, just feeling so helpless, I'm sure it was just amazing to have a mom like Meredith and a family like theirs uh, on his side. So... We'll now switch gears uh, and turn into a little later in life. Um, Actually, Meredith and I had become friends, and I had gotten to know her and her family. And so she's going to talk about a really common procedure, which is a tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy. But as a parent, you know anything that is common, no matter if it's that happens every day, a hundred times a day, when it happens on your child, it doesn't feel common or mundane. Uh, So Meredith will start off by talking to us about Joshua's experience. Joshua had had five sinus infections. He wasn't three years old, and he had had five sinus infections. And like goofy, lots of snot, fever, disgusting sinus infections. No ear infections, just sinus. And by the time the fifth one rolled around, the doctor, pediatrician was like, okay, he's had enough now. I think we can get his tonsils and ones up. And I said, awesome. So she went ahead and put us on an antibiotic before she gave us the referral to the ear, nose, and throat doctor. Once he finished that, of course, he still wasn't much better. And when we got to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, they looked at him right away and they said, yep, we can do this. Let's get an x-ray and let's get him on the surgery schedule. The x-ray was actually, this is just a parent sick mind, really awesome. So Joshua was really into bubble guppies at the time. And we go to get the x-ray and I'm telling Joshua, it's going to be a picture of your bones. And he's like, oh, cool. And I'm like, yeah, you know, got a bunch of bones inside me. And so we just kept singing that song over and over again. And so they have this chair that you sit down on. It's like a medieval torture device. You sit down and then they Velcro your arms, your torso, and your head to the chair so you can't move so they can get the x-ray a very clear x-ray of your head and I thought oh my gosh this is like the perfect timeout chair this thing is awesome it freaked Joshua out a little bit but he was fine it only took two seconds to get the x-ray and afterwards he got to see 
his bunch of bones inside himself. And to this day, he talks about getting the x-ray and having the picture of his bones. I love that you set that up for him to be kind of a fun experience because clearly going into a new place, especially when it's the doctor, can be a really hard thing. But it sounds like you did a good job of pumping him up. You prepared him in a really fun way. And he did really well. I am so glad that the x-ray tech let us look at the picture afterwards. That was really awesome of them because they could have said, no, it's fine. It's for the doctor. But for them to let Joshua see it, I was very grateful. Wait, so can you explain the torture device again? Because in my head, so I used to be a radiology child life specialist, and we have this device called the Pigastat, and the child actually has to physically go in the, like, um, plastic container, and it's like a plastic vest that they wear, and their feet are out of the bottom, almost like a dunk tank. It's kind of crazy. Wow. No, it wasn't (laughs) like this. This is more Game of Thrones type of thing. So it was. Okay. It looked like a bunch of two by fours put together. So there was a, you know, a three foot two by four going up, another one going back to make a chair position, and then another one to make the back of the chair. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, and then it had Velcro at the head, Velcro at the abdomen. I think it had Velcro at the feet too. So he had to stay very very still. Wow. So they didn't want him to move for this head X ray. So they secured the whole body. Yes, they did. When he was. He was almost three. So this is unusual for a child under three to get a TNA. It has to be pretty severe for them to actually go ahead and do this. So he was not capable of staying still. So, but he had so many infections that they said, okay, let's just go ahead and get it done. If you are a parent or a child life specialist who has ever been with a toddler getting an x-ray, you know they can be challenging. I love how Meredith related Joshua's experience to bubble guppies. It was something that was relevant to him, and it worked. Other tips and tricks for helping to get toddlers to stay still for x-rays are preparation in the form of talking to them in a really honest and open and simple way that they can understand, watching a video of another child getting an x-ray on YouTube. Uh, Make sure you watch it first, parents, to make sure it's not a traumatic video, but maybe it would be a video that they could see of a successful experience. Or also just playing it out with medical play and getting a doctor's kit or practicing staying still for a picture. If you rehearse before and have some coping skills as you walk into the procedure, it can make it a lot easier before you arrive. Distraction during the x-ray can be really helpful as well. Bring your bubbles, a nice spy book, or even pull up a video on YouTube Kids on your phone so that they have something to watch. Regardless of how the x-ray goes, talking with your child afterward to help them process what happened is really important. Next, Meredith talks to us about how she and her husband handled the news of deciding to move forward with the surgery. I was ready for him to be better. I was tired of him being sick all the time. And he wasn't in daycare. He was at the gym daycare every now and then. And there, it just wasn't, he didn't need to be this sick all the time. He could be better. And I knew, being a nurse, that a simple surgery would fix this. It would alleviate this and it would make him feel better. And also, he had sleep apnea on top of this. So his last infection, he fell asleep in the car and I wasn't about to move him. And I was watching him sleep and I noticed, oh my gosh, he's not breathing. Wow. It would be a couple of seconds and he would start again. And then he would snore and stop breathing. And then he would start again. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Okay, now it's time, it's time to get something done about this. 
So when I told them that he had the sleep apnea, they said, yes, we're going to go ahead with this. And also you have to stay at the hospital to monitor his airway just to make sure. Right, because I think that's critical. If you get your tonsil and adenoids out and you have sleep apnea, you typically have to stay the observation after surgery. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Now it's kind of fun to get to share this side of the experience with you all because I know Meredith and her family. At the time, I was working at Dell Children's Medical Center as the radiology child life specialist, and part of my role was helping in pre-op prior to procedures with anesthesia. So in true child life fashion, Meredith and I had been talking about Joshua's upcoming surgery, and I offered to come over ahead of time to help prep him for the experience. Fun side note, my husband is a nurse anesthetist, so he came along with me to help prepare Joshua for the experience too. But y'all don't have to worry, I did most of the talking. So my friend, Miss Katie Taylor, came over with her husband, Preston, and they totally prepped Joshua for the surgery. The surgery was the next day, and they brought over a breathing mask, and they brought over stickers, and they brought over the mask that's going to be on top of the provider's faces, as well as the caps and gloves, and Joshua just had a blast with it, and I was so grateful for it because I don't know if it helped Joshua more or if it helped me more. When he had meningitis, he wasn't having surgery, but now he was. And I was just a slightly bit anxious about it. Definitely. Well, of course you were anxious. Was there one part in particular that made you the most anxious or was it just the, was it the anesthesia, the surgery, all it of it? Was what was the it was the anesthesia part that made me the most anxious. The, it was Versed. So I was told that, you could or you could not give him Versed. It might help. It might not help. And having experience in the ICU, it helps. It really helps. It helps you calm down. It helps you relax. And so in my mind, I was having a hard time kind of computing, how am I going to keep him comfortable? How am I going to keep him calm? And I think when we got there for the surgery, seeing you again in your scrubs, I think it really helped him. Like, oh, this is okay. Everything's fine. This is not a big deal. Yeah, I think the the preparation was good. And then we kind of had the advantage of being friends. And then I was also working in surgery that day. So I got to come help support Josh. And I was a common face that he already knew. And, you know, I think we started to play again with the mask just for a little bit of more preparation that morning of, and he was a little bit more hesitant to play than he had been at his house, which is, of course, normal. You know, he's not in his normal environment anymore. He's somewhere different, and he hasn't had breakfast, (laughs) which is a big deal. Exactly, especially for him, yes. Do you want to talk about you guys deciding to move forward with doing the first ed or not doing the first ed? We did do the verse said because I wanted him comfortable and it worked well before surgery that I noticed when he got out of surgery, he was upset and I cannot attest that that was because of the verse said, or that was because of the surgery. I would be upset as well. I, it made, I guess it made me feel better. Sure. Sure. Well, I can tell you that having been with many kids who have and have not gotten verse said, Josh getting the Versed was, I think, really helpful because we got to go back and play on the iPad together and he breathed in his mask and he did an amazing job. Oh, good. I love to hear that. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things we forget about is like being separated from your mom and dad is really hard at that age. Yes. 
Yes, going with complete strangers right. to a place that you've never been before. And everybody's wearing masks and hats. And there's all sorts of devices that you're unfamiliar with. It's completely foreign place. It's like going to outer space. Right. <laughs> it's true. After the surgery was done, did you guys get to go back to the recovery room? We did. We got to go to the recovery room. That's where he was still waking up. He was upset. We got to hold him. Toby and I took turns passing him back and forth. He got some pain medicine there. And I believe he also got some ice chips. And then I got to hold him. They put me in a wheelchair and they wheeled us up into his room. He slept for a couple more hours. And then he woke up and it was a real restless sleep. He was not out like a light. It was kind of awake and fussy and then down and then awake and then fussy and then down. And when he finally really woke up, we got him a rainbow popsicle. And again, to this day, he talks about, oh, mama, you remember that time I was in the hospital? I had that rainbow popsicle. I love that rainbow popsicle. <laughs> He's so cute. And then I think you the iPad and like getting to have all that like awesome favorite TV yes. shows ready to go. Yes, yes. I believe the iPad was new for us, and having that was just so awesome. Yes. I think you're. I think it. You said this is my new iPad. <laughs> <laughs> it probably was. I mean, knowing Toby, we probably got the iPad for the surgery, or it was an excuse to get the iPad. Either way, it worked, and I'm a big proponent of iPads in the hospital. <laughs> it totally worked. It was wonderful. And then, so you guys were able to be discharged. I guess his breathing was fine afterwards? Yes, his breathing was fine. I, again, it was another restless night. I remember him waking up and looking at the SpO2 monitor, the sensor on his finger, and it has a red light. And him being like, Mama, look at this. Look at this light. What is this? But everything was fine. The next day we woke up, there was a playroom in Dell that he got to go to, which was awesome. And he got to play with other little kids. And shortly after that, we were discharged. He was oddly quiet on the way home. I have never heard him be so quiet before. And I haven't heard him be so quiet since. And it was just the weirdest thing. And so he hurt for the next couple of days. They gave him some pain medication and we were also giving him ibuprofen. And we went in for his checkup two days later. And I told the doctor, he was still hurting. He wasn't quite like himself yet. And I said, oh, well, let's just give him some steroids. So it should probably calm things down. The next day, he was literally singing. The steroids were amazing. What resources would you recommend to a mom and dad who are trying to decide if they want to move forward with the surgery or if they have decided to move forward with it, what they can do to help support themselves and their child? I would recommend, first of all, having a friend like Katie, because that really helped me out. A child life specialist. It was awesome. Um, but also, you know, talk to your family, talk to your, your spouse, talk to your pediatrician, and you know, look at your child and try to decide what you think is best for them. Meredith recommends Baby411 as a great resource for new parents. It acts like an encyclopedia of information that you can reference whenever you need to, and it covers almost every topic you can think of. Thank you, Meredith, for sharing Joshua's story with us today. And another big thank you goes to Lauren Morseman Photography for the beautiful pictures of Meredith's family. 
Go book Laura Morrisman Photography now. You won't regret it. She is amazing. Make sure you are also following along with this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so you can make sure you have the latest information and can connect with our parents who share their stories. And also, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you are enjoying these episodes. The reviews help others find this podcast. Hope you all have a great day no matter where you are or what you're doing, and I look forward to sharing more stories with you next week.